Hi guys, welcome to the Fintech Coffee Break. I'm your host, Isabel Castro, and today I'm sharing my coffee break with Sho Sugihara, CEO and founder of UK-based credit-focused fintech, Pay. Launching first with their consumer-facing credit building app, PAVE looked to use alternative data and algorithms to expand the scope of underwriting for credit using open banking. They have grown and launched their B2B product, Fuse, in 2022, sharing their years of knowledge and experience with other businesses in the hope that it will enrich the industry, giving lenders alternative means to provide credit despite volatile conditions. I caught up with him just before the holidays at the PAVE office in central London and spoke about the increasingly challenging conditions in the UK and how he hoped the company could pave the way to a better financial future for many consumers at a time that they could need it the most. Hi, Sho. Hello. Nice to meet you in person, finally. Finally. It's great to see you. Mm, So we're here in the PAVE office. What gets you up in the morning? What makes you start your day and come in here and get stuff done? I think I think for me, um, one one of the strongest drivers that I've come to uh, realize over the years is I have a strong emotional response to um, instances where I feel there's like a sy- systematic unfairness, mm-hmm. um, and whenever I sense that, whether it's in finance or healthcare or other. Uh, areas I get really driven and motivated and that's the thing that I call my like fuel cell it's a very eternal source of energy for me Um, and yeah working on causes related to that is what uh, I've always been sort of trying to dedicate my career to it's definitely not a sector thing it's much more of an overall do I see a inefficiency or correction that needs to be made in a system where someone isn't getting a particular service they deserve Mm. um that's the yeah, that's the highest level answer. Obviously, other things like you know, coffee, alarm clock, etc. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And what made you kind of you wanted to do this? It wasn't a sector thing, but what made you start Pave and decide to focus on uh, credit? Yeah. Um, what my first realization of getting motivated by these types of causes was um, uh, when I was working in Japan. I think I was age seventeen. I'm from Japan and uh, I was working with a homelessness uh, charity uh, supporting uh, uh, homeless vendors of magazines get back on uh, the sort of job uh, ladder and start earning an income and being able to afford their own um, living spaces. And that was a really talking to the vendors was super motivating. And, uh, and I started thinking, you know, there's a lot of interventions that people can provide uh, someone, mainly financial to really make a difference in their lives. Um, Mm -hmm. After that, I moved to Brazil. I think I was 18 at the time and worked in conditional cash transfers, which was a state uh, program that the Lula government at the time was doing. And I worked with um, families in Sao Paulo City, helping their kids stay in school so they could receive the benefits of the conditional cash transfer, which is basically a 0% interest loan that you get if you send your kids to school. And again, kind of that was an extension of seeing how finance could help people um, get included into the formal economy. Um, So I got interested in finance then. Uh, At the same time, in Brazil, I was working for an entrepreneur who wasn't from Brazil. She'd come from Germany and started the NGO in the 70s um, and built it into this big 
you know, organization with a strong brand from scratch without speaking a word of Portuguese. And it just made me realize what, what one person's vision could actually do. Um, and so I think a combination of those two things that got me interested in credit uh, and being an entrepreneur. Um, although I didn't actually think I'd do a tech business until much, much later um, when I was, yeah, 20, 25 or so when I started the company. Mm-hmm. What made you come to UK? Hmm. <laughs> Good, <laughs> great question. I haven't really thought of that. I, I think uh, so. My, my mom is English. And so we'd had a connection here from, from a young age. I'd come back in the summers. I went to university here as well. Okay. Um, and had a network of friends that I, uh, you know, wanted to be around. I do think there is, there is also though, um, compared to a country like Japan, where I've also worked, uh, in in a professional capacity, I think there's a lot, a lot less, uh, both bureaucratic and sort of cultural red tape around starting a business in the UK, especially in fintech, which it's known for. Uh, in a country like Japan, I think I'd have a much harder time doing this because now, now it's getting better, but the startup scene wasn't very mature uh, there when I was um, working. Uh, so the UK had a lot of benefits from that side, both social and uh, from a business angle as well. Okay. Okay. Those are all very good reasons. Um, so in the UK, you've got quite a lot of things that are going wrong at the moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what do you, how do you see the current state of the cost of living crisis yeah it's it's a really uh difficult situation right i think um of course there's a lot of kind of recent reasons that have put uh the uk in the situation it is but there's also much longer term economic structures that have changed since you know the 70s frankly um that have caused uh a lower income uh population to really struggle to get access to good financial products um, or not see real earnings increases for a long time now. And really, I would say what's happening now is just another accelerant of a financial exclusion process that has been ongoing. And so it's disturbing, uh, but it's nothing new. Um, that doesn't make it okay, of course. But some of the things that we are concerned about is that, you know, 4 million people in the UK are said to be fully reliant on credit as a safety net in case of emergencies. And that's a huge number. Um, the uh, amount of credit that's being taken out at the moment uh, is uh, the growth in that has been the highest we've seen since 2005. And so there's some stats that are showing consumers are increasingly or, or have used up the savings they had accumulated during covid and we're entering this quite scary territory where, um, you know, credit has to be the sole source of getting people through the next few months, which are going to be tough. Um, and the economic consequences of that in the short term are scary, but also going back to that point of sort of structural inequality in the long term, they're for me even more uh, concerning. So it's going to be a difficult time and there's just no way of getting around that. I think, you know, mm-hmm. we can only hope for stability in, in, in the war in Ukraine and inflation across the world uh, getting tamed successfully by central banks. But I think uh, a lot has to go right for that to happen. And we have to plan for the worst, I would say. Mm-hmm. And where do you see fintechs? Like, where is their role in this? I think there's, um, there's two, the more I speak to lenders and, and banks, and, and also we're a lender ourselves, so our own operations and, and looking at them, there's a balance that we're going to have to strike. One is credit is a very, very useful tool 
for customers who can afford it uh, when they face circumstances like this. It's precisely these moments where you need it. Um, but uh, identifying customers who can feasibly afford it is extra difficult right now because income is volatile and expenditure is volatile as well. So there's that. You have to lend to people responsibly and do that to your best capabilities. The competing force to this, of course, is, um, you know, at the same time, lenders have to titrate their lending criteria quite carefully um, and, and make sure that they're not overextending credit to people who can't afford it or who can't take uh, and so that they you know, don't take too much risk on. Uh, but the most important thing as an industry, I would say, is uh, and unfortunately, I don't think many are doing this, but the worst thing we could do right now is sit on our hands and say, actually, I'm too scared to lend because I might lose my job if I do. Um, and I'm just going to do business as usual practices and uh, only lend where I'm extremely comfortable. That's the kind of behavior that has caused this structural inequality in my mind to continue over the years. And I know this is a very high level statement, but happy to get into the detail. Um, but, but that's the behavior that we as fintechs and as a financial services industry just can't afford mm -hmm. at the moment. Well, now you've brought it up. Do you want to get into detail? Of what we do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we, I, I have two businesses, essentially. One is the Pave app, which is a consumer credit building app. Uh, both, are, both of these businesses are in the UK. Uh, the second is a credit decisioning uh, business that uses machine learning, AI, to look at transaction data on the consumer to help provide uh, sort of an affordability and credit decisioning and financial health monitoring uh, service, which is trained on the data that we uh, have acquired through the PAVE app. Um, the, the, why two businesses is sometimes a question I get. Uh, well, the reason is I, I had a brief stint at McKinsey working in both their financial health, uh, sorry, financial um, services arms and healthcare systems. And I, and I like to use a parallel in the healthcare um, to describe why we have these two businesses. The, the PAVE app is um, a product that is essentially treating uh, customers with, let's say, acute financial illness. So you've taken out a credit card and defaulted on it, or um, you don't have a credit history or have some bad records on your credit file. We're kind of taking those patients, let's say, and providing them with open banking powered insights to help them budget, uh, but monitor their bill payments. And then we're also extending a credit line that helps them make sure their account balance is sufficient to pay bills on time. And so it's sort of a, a treatment product. Um, it's been, we've had about half a million downloads and it works on a subscription fee. And we have um, hundreds of thousands of uh, paying, paying users uh, over the years, which has been great. Uh, and so that's our sort of, I'd say, secondary, tertiary, acute care product. Mm -hmm. But but when we look at the financial system, I think that is really just treating the problem. Oh, sorry, uh, the, the sort of symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. So how can we change this system more entirely? Well, we think um, to have the level of impact we want to achieve, we have to go further up the value chain of credit. One of the issues that we see in the system right now is that there's a lot of valuable data on consumers that can help them get better products that suit their financial situation. Um, but uh, we're not really using that. So what the Fuse product, which is our uh, credit analytics platform, is trying to do is uh, we've trained models and algorithms using the PayVap data that we've acquired, uh, which help lenders make better decisions using consumer transaction data. So now you're kind of going to the source of the issue and saying, okay, we're going to give lenders and banks better tools to diagnose 
where a patient quote unquote is and provide them with the right type of product that doesn't jeopardize that uh, customer's financial health. Um, and, and this product has been really exciting because we've managed to show that it can be as good, if not better, uh, at diagnosing a customer's financial situation and credit worthiness um, compared to a credit file, which is the traditional way of doing credit scoring. Uh, and so we're rolling this out with lenders across the UK at the moment. Mm -hmm. you, you said in kind of like our previous uh, messages and stuff that this was your main focus for now. Um, yeah. What... What effect do you think these kind of products will have? What do you hope it will do? Yeah, I, I think I think the the main thing is you know one one thing that's a little uh, not not crazy but unfortunate about the financial system at the moment is if if you're a let's say customer of a bank and you've banked with them, you have a current account, savings account, whatnot with them. They have a lot of this data on you already, but at the moment they're not using this data because it's quite messy, difficult to label, difficult to um, in incorporate into existing underwriting practices. With with uh, tools like Fuse, what we can do is start showing the value of using this data and making it easier to use it um, by cleaning the data, making sense of it, and having models trained already that you can deploy. And so my, my hope is um, products like Fuse start uh, encouraging and creating the business case for lenders to use uh, what would be currently called alternative data uh, and make that uh, mainstream and just normal to use. And, and by doing so, provide credit to more people uh, at, a, at a more affordable rate. And as you can probably tell, this is why I think this product is really important right now. Right? Mm -hmm. we, we, if, we, if we were, we as in PAVE, were just doing our PAVE app and treating the sort of symptoms of the financial system and, and the problems we see with it today, uh, it wouldn't be good enough to move the needle. Um, and so, yeah, having a much more systematic approach going upstream in this cycle is where we're focused on at the moment. And our ambition is that this will have a much more sizable dent in how um, financial systems work today and, and, and for the better. Mm -hmm. yeah. I imagine um, it will really help with kind of financial inclusion, especially when you're using all this kind of alternative data. Yeah, th that's right. And, and I think there's many other applications of this technology that excite me. So I've been talking about how you can use our tech for uh, at, at the point of a credit application or at the point where a customer takes out a loan. But what's amazing about something like current account transaction data is that we can also provide an ongoing analysis. Going back to that healthcare analogy, we've diagnosed the patient and given them a treatment or credit that hopefully helps their financial health rather than hinders it. But what's crazy about the system today is, you know, if you make a mortgage application, your credit file or credit status won't get checked again for a very long time, even though you might have got another job or lost a job or have, you know, had a kid or whatever. And um, our technology lets you provide an ongoing monitoring on um, a, a customer um, and really understanding different triggers that might have changed their financial health status. And that, that's an application that I'm super excited about and what it can do for financial inclusion. It's actually an area that the regulator in the UK is looking at. And we think um, uh, it's, it's kind of a duty on the lender's behalf to make sure we are updating our services and loans to match the customer's circumstance and creating a much more efficient credit cycle, life cycle uh, and system. So yeah, it, to me, filling in that gap, you know, from going from 
diagnosis, providing the product, so then ongoing monitoring and management. And if a patient or financial healthcare patient uh, still uh, doesn't quite manage to um, stay healthy, then providing treatment. I think we have to look at it in those different chunks. Um, and really, the, the technology that we have is power, can power a lot of solutions within that uh, overall life cycle of a customer. Mm-hmm. And well, we're at the end of the year. We've got 2023 ahead. What do you hope for the future of this year? What are you going to be focusing on? On 2023, I mean, yeah, our, our, yeah, our biggest ambition is to scale the Fuse product, right? So that we, we've uh, starting to have a lot more you know, conversation and deployment of this solution and, and building out proof points to, to show that um, you know, we've already shown it can do things like have loss rates and um, improve credit model performance by 25, 30%. But really proving that it has applications across multiple different types of lenders is a big focus. Uh, we also think the product is scalable into any geography, frankly, that has transaction data. So part of our ambition is looking at other other geos that we could use this tech in. Uh, but I think, you know, that that's all sort of centered around our, our ambition. I, I'd just be very happy if this was a year where, this coming year was a year where, you know, as an industry, we're able to reflect and think, okay, we don't want to repeat the mistakes of 2008. We want to make sure consumers, especially the ones excluded today, have a proper shot at getting included into the financial system. What would make me happy is if I see more and more lenders taking risks of, you know, by by innovating and trying to do everything they can to support customers at this difficult time instead of um, being conservative and sitting on their hands. I think that's the, that's the one thing that would make me the happiest if the, if the industry has a kind of turning point. It's a very difficult thing to achieve, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think it's it's long overdue. So that would be the thing. I mean, you're quite connected to the lending community over here. Um, do you get a sense that other lenders um, are going to go that way? Uh, <laughs> um, I think the majority know. Uh, there are some uh, some of our partners that I, I just it's such a delight to work with them because you uh, I can't say who but uh, there's one company in particular that has a, an incredible customer uh, centric approach and one of the things the CEO told me just has always stuck with me which is to say um, you know it's in downturns like this where you can acquire your most loyal customers um, mm-hmm. which is so true right no one else is offering them credit and of course they're gonna be with you for life if you you are the one doing so um and so that, that's kind of there, there are some edge cases uh but i think too few if i'm totally honest okay. <laughs> yeah um so going past 2023 uh into 100 years into the future what do you hope has been invented by then in fintech um i think there's a lot of cool stuff happening right so one of my um it's controversial but i do think there's a lot of exciting things we're seeing or exciting potential we see in products like uh, buy now pay later and offerings where products are made interest free because there are other sources of revenue in this case you know merchants paying for customer acquisition subsidizing the the APR and a loan uh, to make it interest free for the consumer i think these are great innovations right ultimately so long as it's you know, done responsibly um, these are these are products that can help uh, many more people get access to credit. So that's kind of one area that excites me. Second area that excites me is this um, integration of credit with payments, which is again buy now pay later, really, where 
every transaction that you're making can essentially be turned into credit responsibly. Again, it should. Um, and, you know, our experience as a consumer goes from having to a- apply for a loan and deal with APR and all this stuff to actually having a seamless and amazing current account that, you know, you can purchase anything, you can make it, turn it into credit when you want. It can automatically detect when you're, um, you know, afford, can afford a product like that. And then also automatically update conditions around that loan to match your, let's say, earning status if that changes and change your payment terms or APR based on how you're doing. That's where I think um, consumer credit and consumer finance is going. Um, and I would love, but I think it's it's extremely difficult to do that because <laughs> there's so many different actors and different data sets you need to connect up to make something like that work. But I would, but I would really like that. You know, one day, like this is people are going to say I'm crazy for saying this, but like, why can't a mortgage be free? You know, why couldn't it, right? Why couldn't you have a system that is efficient enough to, to say, okay, well, the seller of the house pays a bit of margin to the essentially loan provider and the consumer has an experience where it's seamless, but also interest-free. I know that sounds nuts. It is. Um, but I think that's the kind of ambition where finance could go ultimately, uh, you know, if it had the benefit of the consumer in mind. And I think we're starting to see trends that are pushing that towards that. So in a hundred years, if there's a current account that gives me a free mortgage, I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a hundred years is quite a long time. It's away. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It might happen. It might, might happen. And I mean, fintech is very focused on the customer, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the time. Mm. Most of the time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you found a new uninhabited planet location, mm. who are the three people that you bring with you to start a civilization? Um, so I'm assuming, okay, I'll assume like a a desert Island or something on earth. Um, and uh, in that, I I think the first thing you need is survival skills. So I I definitely bring a X sort of military jungle survival trained individual to just help out (laughs) with that. Well, I bear girls. Uh, I don't know who that is. Sorry, I'm so not okay. Into modern culture. I'm assuming it's someone like that. Sure. Yeah, it's basically that. Great. That's exactly uh, yeah, very girls. It is. Um, second would be a doctor. I think you're okay. You just can't. You know. That. Sorry, I'm really practical and not quite creative <laughs> on this. But yeah, definitely a, a medical professional. And then third, uh, I don't know. You know it's going to be pretty bleak, right? You need you need some entertainment. I'd, I'd bring I don't know Ricky Gervais. He'd be useless. No no offense to him, but be, <laughs> except for providing comedy. But I think uh, someone. I mean, like that i be think he'd mix. be pretty useful yeah, he'd keep perhaps. the morale well maybe not the morale up but he'd be entertaining <laughs> for sure <laughs> i'd say those three would be great to have around okay that sounds like a pretty cool civilization <laughs> weird mix yeah. um i like the ricky gervais angle definitely <laughs> um so now we come to the curveball question mm. time in a movie of your life what would your theme tune be oh wow that's really really difficult <laughs> I I don't know. I've always loved Bohemian Rhapsody, the song, but that's just too flamboyant. Oh, no, that would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so many stages and so many different key changes and tones. I think it's kind of a good summary of a startup life. Let's let's stick with that. I think that works well. Okay, cool. Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody is perfect. Well, thank you for hosting me. And Pleasure. thank you for your time. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Same. Thanks for the opportunity. If you want to find out more about PAVE, you can find them online at paveapp.com. You can follow show on LinkedIn. As always, you can reach out and chat to me on my personal LinkedIn or Twitter at Izzy Castro Rides. That's spelled I-Z-Y. 
But for access to great daily content, check out Fintech Nexus on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also sign up to our daily newsletter, bringing news straight to your inbox. And for more Fintech podcast fun, check out the website's podcast page, where you can find more fascinating conversations hosted by Peter Renton and Todd Anderson. That's it from me. Until next time, enjoy your downtime.